In this episode, I interviewed Ben Griffin, who is a strength and conditioning coach at Real Fit Strength and Conditioning. One of our main topics in this episode was the differences between Australian strength and conditioning and U.S. strength and conditioning. Ben has experience in the U.S. when he had his strength and conditioning internship with the South Carolina Gamecocks and has multiple years of strength and conditioning experience in Australia with Real Fit Strength and Conditioning. So some of the topics we covered in this episode were the general differences of the strength and conditioning in the U.S. and Australia, pros and cons of each. We talked a little bit about how U.S. maybe has more of an emphasis on strength and conditioning, we talk about the different models with kind of the rehab setting combined with strength and conditioning in U.S. versus Australia. Uh, we talk about the college system, if there's anything relatively close to it in Australia. Talk about the differences of how many times athletes will usually train in Australia versus the U.S. Talk about the sports science aspect of Australia versus the U.S. And then we go into a little bit more about just some general stuff that Ben has picked up over the years with his biggest pet pet peeves within the industry, um, things he's learned, and just some general principles of how he likes to coach. So great episode. Appreciate Ben for being on. Here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Ben Griffin, who is a strength and conditioning coach at Real Fit Strength and Conditioning. Um, I had Ben on today because he has some experience in the U.S. and Australia with strength and conditioning, so I think that's kind of kind of be our lead topic, and then we can kind of see where the conversation goes from there. I've uh, seen his content and shared some great, great info, so thanks for being on, Ben. Uh, if you first just want to maybe just introduce yourself, tell a little bit of a background, uh, kind of uh, how you got into strength and conditioning, education. Uh, career experience and so on uh, no problem thanks patrick thanks for having me on too i appreciate it um it's always nice to appear on other people's podcasts it's always a bit of fun um so in terms of myself so i pretty much just grew up playing a lot of sport just always really really love sport and then it was just through that love of sport that i kind of turned to strength and conditioning i was never the most talented athlete ever but i kind of realized that through training i could kind of level the playing field out a little bit and then yeah, over the time, over time, my love of training just grew from there. And then I always kind of knew that I wanted to do uh, work in strength and conditioning. So when I went to uni, I um, first did an undergraduate degree in coaching science, which is essentially an exercise science degree. So I did that. Then once I finished that, I kind of didn't know specifically what I wanted to do from there. Uh, I, so then I ended up doing exercise physiology. I graduated as an EP, then I worked as an EP for a couple of years. I always knew I wanted to do strength and conditioning, but it kind of took me a couple of years to find my feet and sort things out. So I worked as an EP for um, yeah three years, three or four years, and then I decided I wanted to go into strength and conditioning. So I kind of, that was where the kind of American thing came from. I decided that I needed to get some uh, practical coaching experience. So I started consuming as much content as I possibly could around strength and conditioning. And then I decided, yeah, I need to get some practical experience. So that was where the American thing came from. It was really hard to find experience in Australia. So I decided, um, yeah, I'd look overseas and I ended up, yeah, applying to a bunch of colleges in America and ended up going over there for uh, three months to do a placement internship. And then when I came back, I... um, yeah, I just started applying for strength and conditioning jobs and I ended up getting a job at Real Fit. And things are kind of just 
I've been there ever since, and things have kind of just progressed from me starting there as a coach to me now being the manager there. Nice, yeah, that's that's great, and that's what I think uh, will be an interesting topic just to kind of see um, the differences between the two. So I guess just the first opening question, it can be as general as, as or as specific as you like, just kind of what would you say the main differences in general in strength and conditioning from your experience in the U.S. and experience in Australia? Um, like, how, I guess, how would they differ? And then maybe we can go into a little bit more pros and cons of each and how do you think um, would be the best, I guess, combination? Uh, so in terms of how it differs, America's definitely kind of uh, places more emphasis on strength and conditioning. I think in Australia, strength and conditioning is still a really underdeveloped industry. It's kind of not well established and not very well known, um, particularly in the private sector. So in America, private sector, private sector strength and conditioning is quite large. You have guys like Joe DeFranco, Mike Boyle, Cressy, these types of guys who are pretty well known, obviously, throughout the strength and conditioning industry. Um, as we're in Australia, you don't really have that. That private sector is really underdeveloped. So you kind of... In America, there's definitely the option of pursuing the private sector option or the team sport option, the pro sport option. As we're in Australia, if it's kind of like if you don't get a strength and conditioning job in the pro world or the team setting, there's kind of not really anywhere to go. So America definitely is way in front of Australia in that um, private sector. But in terms of the actual training and stuff, what I found, it was pretty similar. So when I was over there, there was nothing groundbreaking in terms of what they did. So all of the actual training itself was pretty straightforward. Um, but it was just a practical experience of getting to work with those high-level athletes. It was awesome. All those little things that you just can't learn from reading a textbook. So working with all the different types of personalities. And it was really cool. Some of the guys I coached over there are now in the NFL. So as you can imagine, there's some guys who are really high-level athletes. And along with that comes all your different types of personalities and stuff. So learning to work with them was really cool. But in terms of the actual training and stuff, there really wasn't that much of a difference between the way they train their athletes and the way we do here. Um, but the biggest difference I'd say is definitely there's a way bigger private sector in America than there is in Australia. Yep. And then what would you kind of say, um, I guess, any pros and cons you saw? I know you said the training wasn't, I guess, necessarily crazily different. What about anything with coaching styles or just how general setup um, of – the, how it kind of ran, if there's any pros and cons um, in that aspect of it? So there, so the way they coached, I don't know, you would have seen it over there. The way they coach is very up-tempo, very, they're very big on energy. So like when you're in that weight room, if you're there, you're like, you've got to be on, you've got to be big energy, you've got to be pumping everyone up, you've got to be all these sorts of things. Um I don't know how they do it every day. Like, it's very tiring, like, trying to be at that level every day. And that's generally not how I coach. So that was um, something that I had to adapt to and get used to very much, being that um, high-energy type person, um, which is a good and a bad thing. Cause I think some athletes respond well to it and others don't. So I think there's a good and a bad side to that. But, yeah, I think they just place more emphasis on strength and conditioning over there. They just realise how important it is for athletes, and they place way more emphasis on it than they do in Australia is the main thing. In terms of the actual training itself, like I said, I think it was it was pretty similar. They um Yeah, they just place far more emphasis on it and they're just all about energy in the weight room is the biggest difference I think. 
how would you um, say, so since they do place more emphasis on it over there, uh, what do you say to your athletes or teams or coaches or anyone in general try, when uh, in Australia to try and convince them or show the value of strength and conditioning for that team or that player specifically? Uh, or, or is there anything you took from the U.S. that kind of helped you uh, sell it, I guess, uh, to show the value? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess it was more being able to explain that these, this level of athlete, this is what it takes to be at that level. This is the type of training you need to be doing if you want to go to that level. That's where I just don't think athletes in Australia kind of understand that. They don't see, the, they don't see that strength and conditioning is a key part of getting to where you want to be. Uh, and a lot of athletes in Australia tend to start – this is another big difference as well. A lot of athletes in Australia tend to start strength and conditioning training when they're older. As opposed to in America, they have them starting at sort of 12, 13, 14. As where in Australia, they don't have athletes in gyms until they're um, like 18, 19 in some cases. So I think just emphasizing the importance of if you want to get to this sort of level, you need to, strength and conditioning has to become part of what you want to do. And being able to use those high level athletes as an example is a really good way, I think, to get to make lower-level athletes in Australia start taking it more seriously. Yeah, yeah, and again, like, so the last podcast I had, um, they talked about that growth and maturation um, and the importance of getting it in there young uh, so they can get those movement patterns down, get used to it, and then they can build off that later on instead of starting so far behind. So I think that is a good point um, you kind of brought up there. Uh, another one that I, I've just moving here personally that I've seen that's kind of different um, is a lot of times, and, and again, if they're high-level athletes, it's probably going to be relatively different, but the training more of two times a week or not training as much, Whereas in the U.S. they train almost too much, I'd argue sometimes. So, did you kind of see that too of how how intense it was over there training, or how much training days they did? Whereas in Australian sport, I mean, I know in high levels, but maybe at that more community level or that one right below the high level, you got like you have like two days a week is your main training, and then a game on Saturday. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, they um they're almost too far. They almost place too much emphasis on it. I guess you could say because they would um. And they do a lot within the sessions as well. So one thing they were kind of big on over there was a lot of quantity. So during in the sessions, because so where I was at was a D1 school, so they obviously can only have the athletes in the gym for an hour. So during that hour, they it was like get like get as much done as you possibly can in that hour. And I think um, I don't necessarily know if that's a good thing, or I don't really think it is a good thing. But that was just their attitude: get as much done as we can in that hour. And, yeah, in season they would have – I think they did only have two compulsory lifts during the season, and then I think they had a third optional day. Um, but then they would let other, they would let the guys train four if they wanted to. Um, but, yeah, you're right. It was definitely um, – they almost – I think they almost do overdo it. Well, they very much push that line of how much can we do within each individual session and within how much they do each week. Yeah, and, and it, sometimes it may be not even be – like it's not strength and conditioning overdue. It. It's probably just the amount of hours they have to put into practice and games while they're in um, the university if yeah. they're a student-athlete and so on. Um, do you, did you – what about the, I guess, college system in general because that's kind of your setup? Uh, is there anything sort of relatively comparable to Australia or um, I guess kind of the pros and cons of that versus any type of uh, how Australia is set up with strength and conditioning, maybe like the um, Australian Institute of Sport or something like that if it's relatively comparable? Uh, so I think in Australia at the moment I don't really think there is anything 
com- comparable to uh, the college setup in America. And that's just so far above and beyond. Like, even the place where I was at at South Carolina, their gym, it was the best gym I've ever been in my life. Like, it was amazing. Like, the amount of money they have to spend on that stuff is just ridiculous. Like, it was better than any gym. I dare say it's better than any gym in Australia, any gym that any professional club in Australia would have anyway. And even your AIS now. So AIS is nearly kind of disbanded now. It's kind of fallen apart and broken down into your state institutes, so your New South Wales, Queensland one, et cetera, and the ACT one here in Canberra. But they, even they don't have anywhere near the facilities that um, the colleges in America have. And even the systems are very different, so it's kind of like... That college system is really cool in terms of how it brings those athlete, athletes through and kind of almost prepares them for that pro sport life. As where we don't really have any sort of system like that in place in Australia. It's kind of like you do well in your sport, you kind of make these rep teams and you might go away for camps every now and then, every so often, but you kind of, until you make that full steps, that professional level, you're still not in that full professional type environment, which is what college is. Like those, those guys are professional athletes. They're just because just mm-hmm. they're at college, yeah. they're, they're training like professional athletes. Um, so that fully prepares them for that professional life if they do take that next step. Where in Australia, we don't really have that. It's kind of a bit of a jump for athletes. They kind of go from that's amateur, almost an amateurish level, then in, then they'll just jump into the pros and they have to kind of get used to all the, the way it all works, the training, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and then what about, uh, so I guess one thing personally that I've kind of seen as well as maybe in the States it's a little bit more black and white with the crossover between roles of you know like an athletic trainer slash physio and then your strength and conditioning whereas Australia I feel like it's a little bit more kind of integrated with um, having that uh, you know your physio and strength and conditioning and strength and conditioning is a little bit more involved late stage rehab and so on uh, did you see anything kind of in uh, in the differences in that and maybe the pros of making sure that you do have more of the high performance crossover model instead of just like this is straight athletic training rehab and then this is straight strength and conditioning yeah I think where I was at I think in South Carolina they were pretty good the, um, in terms of there was quite a bit of crossover, there was because we were always talking to the athletic trainers and stuff as part of the strength and conditioning stuff. We were always talking to the athletic trainers and working with them to try and figure out what we can do for guys who were injured and stuff like that. So there was quite a good crossover in terms of we were helping each other out and that sort of stuff over there, which was actually pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I do know what you mean. But it's almost one of the advantages that America has because they all understand what each other's role is. As we're in Australia. Some some allied health professionals don't even know what a strength and conditioning coach is. So, yeah, so that kind of makes it difficult um, going the other way almost. But, so that's another difference actually yeah, that I think as well. Yeah, in Australia, we don't even, because strength and conditioning is still so underdeveloped, I think some health professionals don't even know what a strength and conditioning coach is and where they sit mm-hmm. in that, so particularly in that rehab model, it's... um. Yep. It can get a bit messy with physios, exercise physiologists, and strength and conditioning coaches, and we don't have a great system. I've worked with a lot of ath- a lot of athletes going through rehab, and they don't tend to understand that they need to not just see a physio. So they'll just see a physio for a few times, and then they'll think they're good. They don't understand they kind of need to um, mm-hmm. progress that on and actually get stronger and get back to where they were, as opposed to just going and seeing the physio a few times. Yeah, I think that's definitely a model in Australia that needs to improve that rehab model.
Yeah, and I, I think it's it's definitely probably dependent specifically on the team or setting you're working in. Um, definitely yeah, there's some yeah. better than others. But I guess what, what do you say or how do you kind of preset again, kind of the same question to that athlete or um, that coach, parent, professional, whoever you're talking to, that the, the importance of making sure you have that end state, like late stage reconditioning, return to performance, return to sport, whatever you want to call it, how, how making sure you have that and don't just go get that general rehab back and then go straight back into playing the sport again. Yeah, that's a tough one because I have dealt with a lot of athletes who have who I've tried to preach this message to over and over again and they just they just won't listen. They'll say like a injury like a hamstring strain or something like that's a common one where they'll strain it, they they'll rest up, go see the physio a couple of times, then they'll get the all clear to start running and then they just go back to normal training like nothing happened and then two weeks later they've done it again. And then yeah. after they do it after they do it three or four times, then they might come and see you. And then you're like, well, you knew this from the start that this was probably going to happen again, and they still, yeah, most of them tend to not listen. I think it's, I don't know if it's just because they're lazy or they just, um, or they generally don't actually have the knowledge of what they should be doing with their rehab. I think that's a big part of it as well. I think the, that health professionals need to do a better job of referring to each other. So I think that comes back to really knowing your role. So say if you're a strength and conditioning coach, someone gets injured, that's what you should be saying, go see the physio. Like this is not this is outside of my scope of practice. Go see the physio. I think physios need to do a better job of once they've got them through that early stage rehab of saying, okay, now you need to go see an exercise physiologist or a strength and conditioning coach, depending on where they're at, and you need to keep going with this. So I think that's a big part of it as well. Yeah. So having that kind of having that communication kind of across the different um, uh, professions. Uh, and kind of speaking that with different professions, uh, another thing that I feel like I've seen yeah. different kind of Australia, US um, in general would be kind of sports science. So it is becoming bigger in the US, I think. But what do you have any opinion or take on that or views from your experience on if you think that sports science um, on either one or kind of uh, the, and then the pros and cons, if you like it or don't like it or what you like to use for, for your training and your athletes? Yeah, so definitely, I would definitely say Australia is far more sports sciencey as where America is far more practical as where so a lot of you guys in America they know how to prepare athletes and know how to train them they might not be able to tell you all the science behind everything that happens but they know what to do they're very practical as we're in Australia we almost go the other way we have a lot of big sports science field and everyone um knows knows a lot about the human body and movement and all this stuff but we tend to not have as many great coaches that are good at applying the knowledge. So I think it's almost I think it's almost the opposite there. As where like you said though, like obviously obviously America's a big country and they're really into sports. So obviously they're not it's not like they're way far behind with sports science or anything like that. But they're just kind of not as inclined to it. Which I think as you said is starting to change a bit. But as where yeah, Australia's the other way. Like we're kind of obsessed with um technology and measuring everything and all the data and all this sort of stuff as where we don't tend to have as many yeah, we don't tend to have as many coaches who are really good at applying that and actually coaching, if that makes sense. Yeah, and then do you have any sort of, uh, I guess, what's your opinion on it? You're definitely probably more in the middle, I, I can see, because you probably have seen both sides, which is which is beneficial. But do you kind of do you have any use of it? And I know it's really dependent on the the setting and the profession, the budget of what you can purchase for this tech that's coming up. Do you kind of have a your opinion on either one or how you use it? Well, I think it really, like you said, I think it really depends on the uh, situation of the individual athlete and all the type of athletes that you're coaching. But 
these days I'm very simple. Like the amount of technology I use, technology I use is very limited to be honest these days. I think if you've got it, like obviously definitely use it if you've got it. But yeah, I've almost gone back the other way from being at uni and learning how to use all this cool technology. Now I've kind of been coaching for a little while and I've almost just gone back the other way to the bare bones um, and use kind of very little technology these days. And uh, I guess one thing we can kind of talk about is I, I, just following your content in general, you you make things pretty pretty simple and and uh, understandable, but you don't obviously do anything crazy out of the ordinary, which is kind of the basic programming to get you better. Do you want to kind of well at least what I've observed of your content? I don't know, you can you can tell me if you have a different sort of principle or aspect of it, but you just kind of want to talk on your principle of why you kind of are, or how you kind of do that and how you preach it to your athletes, like just doing the right things, the basic things, and this is going to get you better instead of doing all this crazy stuff that's probably not as not as necessary. Yeah, so and that's kind of another hard thing to get across to athletes as well because if you looked at the programs that I write on paper, like it's nothing special. There's absolutely nothing complicated about any of it, but it's just what works. Like it's implementing these basic things and spending time learning how to move properly and then getting strong on these basic movement patterns is where the money's at. Like that's what that's what works. So getting that message across to athletes is really, really important because they don't seem to not a lot of them seem to understand that. They kind of see the way some professional athletes train. They might be doing some sort of fancier type thing. Um and they think that's how they should be training. But it's just not the case. Yeah, so I'm very big on just keeping things as simple as possible. Um, developing strength on kind of your basic movement patterns, so your squats, your hinges, your pushes, your pulls, just getting really strong on these basic movements and then kind of building around that. So then you're adding in things like your jumps, your throws, all these types of things to kind of build well-rounded athletes. But, yeah, very big on just keeping things simple, mastering those basics and just getting really, really strong on those those really simple lifts. And it just And it just works. I guess the um, tricky part about that is, though, is then keeping athletes engaged because you have to sell them into that because, yeah, you're going to spend a lot of time mm-hmm. practicing these basic movements to, to master them because that's what you have to do. So then the real art becomes keeping them engaged, finding ways. And I think progress is a big thing. If athletes see that they're progressing, so that's why tracking things is important So and testing and stuff. So if they, if they see they're progressing, then it's, very, very, it's a lot easier to keep them engaged. Yeah, and do you uh, do you use any other sort of tactics or any ways you like to keep them engaged other than just trying to show progress specifically, or is that kind of just the main one and uh, pretty the probably the easiest one to do? Yeah, so progress is obviously the main one. That's kind of the almost obvious and evident one, but just having fun with it as well. Like this is another thing too. I think a lot of strength and conditioning coaches just take themselves too seriously. So um. Just trying to have fun with it. Like when they come in the gym, you want to kind of joke around a bit and have some fun during the session. And um, <clears throat> obviously when it's time to train, you still want to work and train and stuff. But yeah, you've got to find that balance between having some fun too. Because if, they, if they're just going to come in and it's just going to be boring, like they're not going to want to show up. It's all well and good to be a really, really good coach, but you have to be able to communicate and not entertain, but you still have to be able to have fun with it. So doing things as well, like... Um, throwing in little things at the end of a training session where guys can, where athletes can kind of compete against each other and just have a laugh about a different thing or some, not even necessarily an exercise that's going to um, help them as such with their sporting performance or anything, but just something a bit fun so they can kind of compete against each other and have a laugh because, yeah, I mean, it's the same as anything. Like, if you're not having fun, you're not going to keep coming back. So I think having a laugh with it all is a, big, is a really big one as well. 
just not taking it too seriously. Yeah, definitely giving him some bicep curls has helped in the in the past couple of weeks for the boys. So, <laughs> oh mate, it's the best. You just give him just give him five minutes at the end to get as many curls and um, tricep extensions in as they can, and they'll buddy. They leave the place. They leave the place loving life. <laughs> Um, I guess one question I like to ask um, some people is their biggest pet peeves. Now, this can be within the industry, within um, within trying to communicate things to athletes or literally anything kind of with the strength and conditioning. So would you say a couple of your biggest pet peeves are um, that you're trying to preach constantly that just never get across to everyone? Um, that's a really good question. In terms of pet peeves, I guess kind of – Kind of what we were, kind of what I was alluding to before with just keeping things basic with training. Um, well, I guess in this industry in general, actually, people selling things that don't necessarily work, if that makes sense, or they sell things and advertise them to do more than what they actually do when they yeah when they don't actually work. Because this industry is kind of messed up in terms of that way. Like it's so hard to know who for for an athlete. I can only imagine how hard it is to know who to believe and who to trust. There's people out there selling these some stupid products that just don't do anything and then an athlete sees that and they might, it might be endorsed by a pro athlete so they see it and they go oh this guy's using that so i'm going to buy that when in reality it's not like it's just it's nothing that's got anything to do with their sport it's not going to help them at all like that that is one that really really annoys me people just doing those sort of things they're just in the industry for the wrong reason they're not trying to help anyone they're just trying to make money so they don't care if their product actually mm-hmm. works so that is probably the number one thing and it's so frustrating and I genuinely feel sorry for athletes in regards to that because, like I said, they don't know. They um they just see a professional athlete advertising a piece of yeah. equipment and they're like, oh, I'm going to use that. Some sort of some sort of stupid band or some sort of stupid light thing or something, and you're like, oh, it's just you don't need that. <laughs> They've just wasted a hundred dollars on it. And you're like, ah. Oh. Yeah. No, I think yeah, that's a good. Yeah, that's that's a good point because you do see you get I'll get some athletes coming sometimes and saying, "Hey, I saw this on Instagram or or that," and then you check it and it's just you kind of, I try to explain it in a nice way that maybe we should do something yeah. simpler or the benefit not having the benefits of that when you can do something else mm-hmm. that's probably going to benefit you more. Um, is there any way you go about that any any differently then, or is there a specific way that you can try to educate them to? Um, I mean, it, it's so hard when there's so much mm-hmm. a- accessible now um, to educate them what's probably better content and what's not so great yeah i think you're right all you can do is try and educate them all you can do is kind of say i know that i know that looks cool but you just got to explain it to them tell them the truth i think and just say look this is it's that's not what you think it is and and to to be honest as well like i think it's a bit of a um you kind of have to be a bit humble as well and be like well i don't necessarily think that i know everything but in my opinion, I think if they trust you, it helps. So if you go to them and say, in my opinion, I don't think that is going to help you. Um, and if they trust you, then obviously yep. they're going to believe you and tend to side with you. So I think it all comes back to just whether or not they trust you or not. And if they do, then you can just tell them the truth. And hopefully hopefully they won't waste their money on whatever the thing is or want to try whatever that fancy exercise is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then what about just pet peeves for athletes, um, just when coaching athletes in general um in terms of pet peeves for athletes uh i guess i i tend to be pretty not get too frustrated with athletes because i know they just don't know with them it's a lack of education i tend to have more peeves with other coaches because they should know better but with the athletes i think a big thing 
not so much a peeve, but a thing that I think athletes need to understand better is that strength training is a long-term process. So too many of them just view it as kind of, oh, yeah, I'll come in for four weeks before my season starts and then I'll get strong and then I can just stop strength training. When, you do it, when you're like, no, that's not, that's not how it works. We need you to commit to this for the long term. So you need to be training before the season starts and keep training during the season. And then you might have a little bit of time off at the end of the season, but then you're going to come back and we're going to do this again in the off-season. And it just keeps building year on year. As where too many athletes kind of just see it as, yeah, not a, they don't see it as a long-term commitment, which, which can be frustrating. Because sometimes you have athletes coming in and out of training and you're like, we've made all this progress and then you just disappear for a few weeks and you're like... Yeah, it can be frustrating from that point of view. Yeah, um, do you do you um, when when trying to convince those athletes to stay longer? Is there anything specific or any ways that you kind of help and preach them and tell them that that that's, is kind of the best way um, to, to to develop this and the importance of making sure um, you kind of build on that progress and then kind of into what is your opinion on trying to progress throughout the season? Do you do you still like to push obviously while managing load or is there kind of that in-between balance that you like to do? So in terms of trying to preach that long-term approach, once again, I think it's just about building a relationship with the athlete more than anything and just trying to educate them on how strength training works because I think most of it is just, most of it I think is just a lack of knowledge on their part. No one's ever told them this, so they just don't know. So I think just educating them and um, letting them know is pretty much the main thing because I genuinely don't think, I just think it's just that they don't know more than anything it's not that they're deliberately doing that and then in terms of in-season training so i think this depends a lot on how advanced the athlete is with their strength training obviously if you have a athlete who is really strong uh during the season it's going to be more about um maintaining strength because you're not going to push that because obviously those stronger athletes are more neurally efficient they're just stronger so doing a heavy strength session for them is going to be very tiring so they can train within themselves a bit during the season, I think, because you don't want to waste energy. But if you have more of a novice athlete who isn't quite as strong, I think you can kind of push it a bit more and kind of keep building them because they're not lifting as heavy loads. Um, so I think it really depends on the athlete. But in general, in general, my kind of main focus is just not to lose strength. Try and keep building if we can. But obviously games and trainings become the priority. So we don't want to do anything that's going to compromise their ability to be able to train that week and then obviously play their game on the weekend. So I think it depends on the individual athlete's circumstances. But yeah, generally just try and maintain strengths. Yeah, that is a good point of making sure you're not obviously going to, their, their sport's the main thing, so not compromising anything from then on. Um, but but still trying to keep, or not lose anything that you've you've built up beforehand. Yeah. Um, and then, as you said beforehand too, just making sure that you've seen that progress is probably that main thing that keeps them there. I guess in Throughout the years that uh, you've coached, is there anything in speci- specifically that you've changed kind of over the years uh, that maybe you're doing in the beginning or that you've kind of learned throughout the years that's one of the biggest things that I wanted – that you've done differently, I guess? Uh, I guess I think, there's a, um, I think there's a lot of little things. So I think my general approach to training hasn't really changed that much. Like as I said before, it all kind of centers around just using these basic – sort of foundational strength training movements and then it's kind of just little things that you pick up around the outside that will change that are constantly kind of evolving in terms of particularly and think in terms of communication as more so than um more so than actually say like sets times reps type things or specific exercises 
So I think I've got a lot better at cueing for different exercises. So understanding cueing and teaching exercises, which is a big one. I think you learn different ways to yeah, get your message across, which is probably which is what coaching is. Like it's all about communication and getting that message across. So I'd say more so I'd say my training's more evolved from a my coaching sorry has evolved more from a communication standpoint than absolutely anything. Um which has been pretty cool. Yeah. And I guess uh, is there anything that that you've uh, kind of kept that you said? I guess your biggest thing probably is just your workouts, making sure they're still the same, and that's kind of been consistent throughout the whole entire thing. But is there anything else that you've kind of seen that's worked really well that hasn't changed that you've really liked to keep throughout in your coaching career? I think so. I guess what I've kind of done in terms of the way I've learned to the way I've kind of built my coaching philosophy has been to learn off other people. So when I kind of decided to come into this industry, I kind of found people who were doing what I want to do. So these good coaches in the private sector, and I literally consumed all of their resources. So guys that I kind of mentioned at the start, guys like Joe DeFranco, Mike Boyle, Eric Cressy, these sort of guys, I just consumed every sort of resource they had. And I've based a lot of what I do around these types of guys, the types of things they do. And then I've kind of just built my own methods based off the back of that. So I've kind of, it's the old standing on the shoulders of giants thing. So I think learning of taking what they they do and kind of adapt it to my situation and then a lot of that underlying stuff just stays the same. So I think from learning off those types of guys indirect, indirectly um, has been like invaluable because what they do works. So if I can steal as much of what they do and try and learn off them and adapt it to what I do, then a lot of that just a lot of that underlying stuff stays the same. So yeah, it's pretty much the same as what I was saying before. All those basic, all that basic stuff that I do that just kind of forms the foundation of everything, and everything else just builds off the top of that. Yeah, and that probably goes for athletes and coaches. With coaches, the knowledge of the field in general, but then athletes just kind of learning um, and progressing with their with um, their strength and conditioning, learning what works for them, what doesn't work for them, and so on. So yeah, I think it definitely applies to kind of both of those. I guess kind of one final question here we can finish on is the. Uh, one your biggest piece of advice for coaches and then athletes that um, you can give uh, so for coaches particularly young coaches one of the biggest mistakes I think I see because we so we run internships at our gym and um, obviously we're kind of always having new coaches come on and stuff so one of the biggest things I see is a lack of experience a lot of coaches tend to um tend to go to uni, they do the degrees, they get all the education, and then a lot of them finish. Well, I know I did this as well. I was guilty of this as well, personally. They finish university, and they just don't have enough coaching experience. So if they come into a gym environment, they essentially, they can tell you everything you want to know about, say, something like post-activation potentiation, but they can't teach someone how to squat. So Mm -hmm. there's kind of a bit of a missing link there. Like, So particularly so in regards to advice for coaches, particularly for young coaches, get experience, like regardless of, as soon as you start your degree, so if you decide I'm going to start a degree, my recommendation would be get your Cert 3 and 4 in fitness, get into a gym and just start coaching people. Even if you're planning to work with athletes down the track at some point, uh, coaching coaching people is coaching people. So even, even if it's just general population members, start coaching people. If you can teach a general population member how to squat, you're going to be able to teach an athlete how to squat. So that's the biggest thing I would say for young young coaches specifically. Get out and start coaching as soon as you can. Don't finish your degree with no coaching experience. Mm-hmm. And then for athletes-wise, what would you say your biggest kind of a piece of advice 
is for them within kind of the strength conditioning performance uh, aspect of things? Uh, in terms of performance and training, the first thing or the first thing I would say to generally to all athletes is start strength training and never stop. So kind of what we spoke about before, you need to see this as a long-term thing. As long as you're playing your sport, you should be strength training. And then you should just keep strength training after you finish your sport as well because of just how good it is for you generally. But, yeah, if you're playing your sport, you should be strength training the whole time you're playing your sport, all throughout your career. And patience. Patience is a big one. A lot of athletes want results today. You've got to understand that there's a process that goes into it and it takes time. So I think patience is a massive one. If you can be patient enough with your training and hang in there, you'll get what you're looking for. But particularly in the early stages of training when there's a lot of lot of learning, a lot of time gets devoted to learning movements, and it can be frustrating at times, just got to be patient, got to get through that initial period, and then, yeah, stick with it and be patient is kind of the biggest thing I would say. Yeah, awesome. That is that is a good point because, yeah, it's going to take a little bit in the beginning, and then once uh, you kind of get into it, then that, and they should really see the results then. Um, well, thank you very much, Ben, for being on and all the information for the coaches, athletes, and really anyone in the sports performance, sports medicine field. Uh, if, if you want to just kind of say where people can follow you at, uh, and then I can put those in the show notes because I know you share really great content on Instagram, um, and then you have a podcast as well. So if you want to shout those out, and I can put those in the show notes for you. Uh, so I'm pretty much everywhere. So Instagram, uh, Instagram, and I think Twitter as well, Coach Griffin 88 uh, LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn as well, it's Ben Griffin. And then the podcast, my summer podcast is just called Ben Griffin's Podcast. It's on Spotify at the moment. I'm trying to get it on I'm trying to get it on iTunes. Um, it's a work in progress. But yeah, you can find just search Ben Griffin's podcast on Spotify if you're interested. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for being on, Ben. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you've enjoyed the show and would be able to leave a five star review on iTunes, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning and injury and rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on Facebook at Coach Patrick Wood, on Twitter at Coach Patty Wood, and on my website www.patrick-wood.com. All of this can be found in the show notes. Thank you for listening.